If you've been here this fall, you know that we've been going through the book of Mark. Um, and we've seen the reality of the kingdom of God, the king breaking on the scene, and the reality of who Jesus is being revealed in, in all kinds of various ways. And if you are here last week, we saw the disciples commissioned by Jesus in his power to go out and, and to preach the gospel and to heal sickness and to cast out demons and to do all those kinds of things. And we also saw that Herod got wind of this. He heard what Jesus was doing. He heard what was going on and all the amazing things that were happening through Jesus and his disciples. And as that news got to him, he said, look, it's John the Baptist. He's raised from the dead. And then we heard the story of how this wicked king um, murders John the Baptist on a whim. And so this week we, we pick up the story just after that in Mark 6, uh, 30 through 44. So if you'll turn there with me, um, let's read God's word together. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. It's God's word. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning we need to hear from you. We need to hear your truth. We need to hear your word. We need you to come to meet with us. To forgive our sin and to heal our brokenness and to give us comfort and strength and hope. So we pray that you would do that this morning. That you would come and you would speak to your people. In your name and for your sake. Amen. When I was a kid, Michael Jordan was the best basketball player in the world. And there was a commercial that had Michael Jordan on it. I think it was a Coke commercial. I can't remember which one it was. But it had Michael Jordan. He would run out and he would jump and he would take this six-pack of Coke and he would put it in this treehouse. And the song that went with that, there was a little jingle that said, If I could be like Mike. And I love that commercial. And I remember it even to this day. But I was not a great basketball player. Okay, when I was in seventh grade, I was 4'10", 4 feet 10 inches tall. And so I played a little bit of basketball, but it wasn't like I was going to be the superstar on the middle school basketball team. So 
I, as many of you know, I was a, a big golfer. And so during that time, there was this golfer, and his name was Tom Kite, K-I-T-E. So the, the golfer that I was, I decided to change the jingle to include Tom Kite's name instead of Mike so that it could apply to my life. And so I followed Tom Kite, and I wanted to be like him, and I found out about him, and I wanted to know how he practiced, because I wanted to be really good at golf. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to follow him, at least in the way he played golf. And and Tom Kite was not a very impressive-looking guy. I mean, he had these huge glasses. I mean, he he was probably the nerdiest-looking guy you've seen. But he was a great golfer, so I wanted to be like him. I wanted to, to follow him in a sense. And... What's interesting this morning as we look at this text, and the, uh, the Old Testament reading was perfect today. I want you to look at that with me very quickly. And I want you to think about this idea as we look at this text this morning. Every person in this room, someone or something is leading you. Okay, in biblical terms, you might say someone is shepherding you. And as you look at the Old Testament lesson... I think it's fascinating to to see David say, The Lord is my shepherd, so I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. But what if you really were honest with yourself and you thought about your life this morning and said, You know what? What really is leading me? And you took that and you filled in the blanks that way. You said, Blank is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, she, it, makes me lie down in green pastures, leaves me beside still waters, restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness, gives me peace, provides for me, protects me. All of us in this room could name something. And maybe it's something that, that in its nature, it's not a bad thing, right? It's just become the ultimate thing. It's become the most important thing. That's going to lead me and going to provide for me and going to take care of me and protect me. What's interesting in this passage, and I want you to keep that in mind as we look at this passage, as we dig into the text. Because that's the question that this is going to answer. Is there anybody worth following? Is there anybody worth giving your life to in that way? And, And the only way to understand this text, there are two key verses that I want you to look at. One of them, and one of them is just beyond the limits of our text this morning. But look at verse 34 with me. There are two key passages that help us figure out exactly what's going on here. Look at verse 34. It says, When he went ashore, he being Jesus, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Uh, One commentator has said, that Jesus saw them as a leaderless, kingless folk. Right? This idea of sheep without a shepherd has a rich history in the Old Testament. We see it first when Moses is about to die. Moses disobeys God. So he's not going into the promised land. Okay? And he prays to God. He says, Lord, would you raise up somebody who's going to lead this people? So they're not like sheep without a shepherd. There's somebody to lead them in and to take them out. And then again in Ezekiel 34, it's fascinating. Israel's in exile. Right? They've disobeyed God. God's driven them out of the land. And God says, you know what? They're like sheep without a shepherd. Right? The problem is not that they don't have any leaders. The, the leaders that they have are wicked. They've exploited the sheep. They've led them astray. They don't, 
They don't point them toward God. And so God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to judge those wicked shepherds. And I myself am going to come. And I'm going to shepherd you. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to put somebody on the throne of David. And I'm going to come to you and be your shepherd. And take care of you. Again, the problem was not that there weren't any leaders. There just weren't any righteous ones. There weren't any ones that pointed the people towards the truth, toward God himself. And to relationship with him. In fact, if you look in the Old Testament, um, David, who certainly had issues, okay? One of the beautiful things about the Bible is you see that God always uses sinners to accomplish his purposes. Like you and me. David was a sinner. But nonetheless, in the Old Testament, he's seen as as sort of the model of a shepherd king who's ruled by God's word and therefore rules God's people. But he's fallible, Right? But the king was supposed to be the one who was owned and ruled and dominated by God's word. And therefore, he led the people well. He shepherded them. He pointed them towards the truth. Okay, but last week, and I think the reason this passage comes right after Herod is who is Herod? He's the king. And far from being anything like a righteous king, he flippantly kills This guy on the whim that he's not even sure about, really, right, who confuses him. He knows he's a righteous man, but he says, okay, I'll kill him. The man of whom Jesus said, of those born of a woman, no one is greater than John. So the king who was supposed to lead is not doing that. And so as Jesus comes on the shoreline, he sees his people as sheep without a shepherd. And the question is, who will lead them? Where is the shepherd king that was promised? That's the the first key point to understanding the passage. Second is, there's a passage that is beyond your your bulletin this morning. I want to read it to you. It's Mark 6, 51 and 52, and it's just beyond. It's in the end of the account where Jesus walks on the water. Okay, and he gets back in the boat. And it says this, And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, or astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So it's interesting that the disciples were there. I mean, they saw everybody fed, right? They saw the 5,000 people, five loaves, two fish, Jesus, this ain't going to happen. And they were fed. They, They picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. They had a snack for later. They picked it up. They saw what happened. But they didn't see something that they should have seen. They didn't see something that they should have seen. What was it? Notice that in our text this morning, as Jesus interacts with the disciples about feeding the multitudes, he creates the situation. Right? It's his idea to go out for rest. He's the one who has compassion on the multitudes. He's the one who says, guys, let's feed all these people. He leads them to reveal something. He's in control of the situation. I mean, let's be honest. Does anyone think Jesus led all these people out in the wilderness so that, hey, guys, we fed them all. High five. That's great. 
No. There's something more than this is a great miracle. The problem was not that they were hungry. The problem is that they needed a shepherd. That was their problem. And what Jesus says to the disciples seems unreasonable, right? It seems as this, I mean, the disciples are perfectly logical, right? They brought their own food. They're like, Jesus, hey, we're prepared. We brought our stuff. It's here. We're ready to eat. Send these other people out to get their stuff, and that'll be great. It's perfectly logical. But that's not what God had in mind. He brings them to the end of themselves. So they say, guess what, Jesus? This is not going to work. We cannot do this. And he says, exactly. That is the point. The point is that you cannot do this. Jesus' request of them is unreasonable. But through the power of God, guess what? The disciples feed the people. They give them the fish and they give them the bread. And they see the glory of God. But they didn't really see it. And that's what they missed. They missed the idea that their shepherd king had come. God in the flesh. That just as God fed the Israelites out in the wilderness through Moses, guess what? God fed his people out in the desert this time. And God came down in the person of Christ and did that. Jesus is the shepherd king. He is in the line of David. But guess what? He is God himself. And that is who is taking care of and feeding his people here. Beautiful hymn this morning. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with, with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. The heart of the passage is that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the one. It's not just about feeding people. It's about their king who'd come to be with them. But what does that shepherding look like? Okay, what does it look like for Jesus to shepherd his people? Let's look together at the text for a few minutes. Number one, the good shepherd has compassion for his people. He seeks to give his disciples rest. Notice that they get, they're out working, right? They're, they're building the kingdom of God. They're preaching. They're casting out demons. They're doing all these things, and they come back. And Jesus says, you know what? Let's go rest a while. Okay, now, it doesn't necessarily come to fruition, okay? But Jesus knows who you are. If this morning you think God is a slave driver just out to, to work you, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible knows who you are. He provides rest for his people in the midst of the wilderness. He has compassion on the crowds, which is probably pretty difficult to have. Right? If I've been working all day and we go across the lake to rest and all of a sudden 5,000 people show up, I'm probably not going to be feeling it. Right? I'm not going to be... I really want to minister to you right now. I'm going to be thinking, I really want to go take a nap. But he loves him. He has compassion for his people. 
He cares for them. This morning, are you experiencing the compassion of God? You believe that God cares for you, that the Good Shepherd not only perhaps died for you, but that He cares about you. He cares about your life. He cares about the circumstances that you're facing. Do you, do you think He cares about the people in Connecticut this morning and their lives and the unbelievable pain that they're going through? Yes. He's a God of compassion. Second, he teaches his sheep. The good shepherd teaches his sheep. In verse 34, it tells us that he has compassion, but also that he teaches them many things. And I I think it's safe to assume that what he's teaching them is about the kingdom of God, about who he is, about what it looks like to follow him and be part of the kingdom that he's creating. But what's interesting is it the people were hungry for the truth. Now, I don't know if there are a bunch of running backs or whatever, but apparently they're pretty fast. They better make it all the way around the lake before the boat gets to the other side. Okay? They run all the way there. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They don't have any food. They're hungry. They're hungry for a king. They're hungry for a shepherd. They're hungry for the truth. To meet God out there. And so they're willing to do what it takes to be where they are. They go all the way around the lake to be where Christ is because they want to know who God is. What they needed, what we need this morning, what those people in Connecticut need is the presence of God. We need the truth about who God is and who we are so that we can have a relationship with Him. Apart from that, you can't have a relationship with Him. We need God's presence. We need Christ. It's what I need in my life. That's what you need in your life. In the midst of the problems and the struggles and the difficulties and the pains of life. Right? There are many truths lower to you out there about all kinds of things. Right? And many of them are good about how to get in shape or to make more money or whatever it is. Right? But at the end of the day, they will all fade away and you need Christ. What you need in the midst of your circumstances is Jesus. More of Him. More of who He is. So are you going to the Good Shepherd this morning for the truth? Do you go to Him for life? Do you go to Him to be taught? Why do you take advantage of the opportunities like this morning? Obviously you are because you're here. Right? or Sunday school, or community groups, or reading the scriptures in prayer, or being at places where you will be exposed to God's truth, that you can grow. Right? Because that's what you need this morning. That's what I need this morning. How hungry are you for it? Only Jesus can satisfy. Third, the good shepherd provides for his sheep. Again, they're beyond their resources out here. Jesus miraculously provides an abundance of food for his people. He takes care of them. Right? And what's interesting is, there's so much food that everybody eats as much as they want. They're satisfied. And they pick up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. 
It wasn't like a little, the little piece of communion bread that we're going to get this morning. Everybody have just a little piece of this. They're satisfied. The abundant provision of God. He takes care of His people. But notice a couple things. The people who stayed at home didn't see the power and provision of God. Right? Those who said, you know what? I'm not going to be able to make it out there today. I'm working on my car here or whatever it is. They didn't see the provision of God. It was those who sought the kingdom. I'm reminded of Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom. Right? It's how I said this morning. Providentially. And all these things will be added unto you. It was those who were standing out in the wilderness. They didn't have food to eat. That saw Jesus provide. That saw him take care of them. And as we, th- we can think about physical needs, but spiritual needs as well. The good shepherd provides the resources you need to inherit eternal life. Right? He provides what you need to change and be different next year than you were this year. But only he has the resources to do that. It takes the Holy Spirit in your life. It takes the good shepherd working in you. To bring change. He has the resources to do it. But if we're never in situations where God has to provide, we're probably not going to see Him provide. Right? It's probably not um, watching TV that... (laughs) That we're really going to see God show up. He can if he wants to, right? But it's probably when you're out seeking the kingdom. The question is, are you seeing God provide in your life? If not, are you seeking his kingdom really or are you seeking another kingdom? Let's risk our time and our money and our, and our love on the kingdom of God. And see God provide in amazing ways. And I, I know many of you in this room, you've seen it. You've seen God work in your life, in your relationships. You've seen him bring life where you thought there was death. And only he could do it. You had to get to the end of you and the end of what you wanted and the end of your dream to, to see God show up in a powerful way in your life. And he has. Okay, Matt, but what, what about those people who, those missionaries who die of thirst on the field? What about those people? What do we do when, when God doesn't seem to provide in the way we expect him to provide, the way we want him to provide? That's the question. How do you deal with that? I think the only answer is that Jesus has guaranteed our greatest need. Finally, this morning, at the heart of the gospel is the good shepherd laying down his own life for the sheep. Jesus' love leads him to the cross for his people. And he dies, the innocent, that was a great column that Hal read this morning, right? The innocent dies for the guilty. He lays down his life so that his people can live. He suffers there. 
alone. He enters the darkness so he can turn on the light. Christ comes and he lays down his life to save his people. Um, one fascinating story that I, that I read based on the events of last week. Um, it was a beautiful mirror of the sacrifice of Christ. Um, I read about two ladies who were in that school. One was the principal and one was uh, the school psychologist. And the beautiful thing is that they were killed as they were rushing towards the gunman to overtake him. They laid down their lives to try to save these kids. And that is a picture of the gospel. That Jesus Christ, who has all the rights, who is perfectly loving and perfectly good and perfectly just, instead of judgment for his people, he takes the judgment on himself. That is what the good shepherd does. That is why he is worth following. I've heard it said that if the, the shepherd dies for the sheep, says more about the shepherd than it does about the sheep. The shepherd's willing to give his life that others of his people can live. Is what it is to be the good shepherd. So for those of us um, in this room who perhaps you've been disappointed the way God provided for you or he's not done maybe what you wanted him to do. I would say to you, perhaps, but he's done what you needed him to do. He's given you life in Christ. He's opened the way. And he says, come to me. Come to me for life. So have you been forgiven this morning? We've got to remember, as we look at the text, as we live this life, to say with Paul, to live as Christ and to die as gain. The missionary who dies on the field of thirst wakes up and sees God face to face. That's enough. He has given what we ultimately need. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of Christ. And I would just say to you, we began talking about who is it that you follow? Who is it that shepherds you? Who's your your leader? Don't follow that person anymore. I mean, I think that's as simple as you can say it. Don't follow that person or that thing anymore. They're not going to get up on a cross and give you eternal life. But follow the one who bled that you can live. I close with this story. Billy Graham, in light of the events of of last week, I'm reminded of a story that I heard after World War II. Uh, Billy Graham was in the office of the Chancellor of Germany. And he says, they're looking out over the rubble. Um, It's just laid waste. And the chancellor turns to Billy Graham and he asks him, he says, do you believe in the resurrection? And he said, well, Mr. Chancellor, I would 
and not be sitting here if I didn't believe in the resurrection. And he said that this chancellor of Germany looked out over the rubble and he said, I know of no other hope for mankind. Guys, there is, whatever, whatever other shepherds there are, Jesus is the only one worth following. He's the only hope for us this morning, for those people who are broken as we pray for them. Turn to him. Turn to him. Let's pray. Our Father, we we thank you that you're the good shepherd. Lord, and so many of us in this room, all of us in this room, are so prone to wonder because we're foolish sheep. Lord, help us to see more each day your goodness and your love for us. We hate our sin and love you. God, we need your grace. We need your forgiveness. We need your joy. Be with us today as we come to the Lord's table. Strengthen us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.